Hello, hello. Hey, up. What's up? What's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, privyet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Ah, yeah, we have an awesome show for you today. With one of our favorite guests, Any Given Runway's baseball correspondent, John Timmons, returns to the show. John is a pitcher in the San Francisco Giants organization who was on the show twice in 2020. And with February coming to a close, spring training is in full effect and the baseball season is near. In the United States, baseball season is a pivotal and meaningful time of the year as it typically means warmer weather has arrived with many fans happily flocking to spring training locations in Florida, Arizona to help kick off the season. Now, I love all sports, but many competitions pale in comparison to the beauty of sitting in a ballpark watching a nine-inning game. When it comes to summarizing the sport, no man was more eloquent, more funny, and more accurate than Yogi Berra. Yogi once quipped, love is the most important thing in the world, but baseball is pretty good too. On today's conversation with John Timmons, he talks about how baseball training has changed in today's modern age and how there really is no such thing as an offseason anymore. John also chats about having confidence and knowing what one's strengths are and then being able to use those strengths while on the mound. And finally, John and I discuss analytics. It's been a consistent yet controversial buzzword over the last half decade, and I was intrigued to hear about John's acceptance and even admiration for the new statistics that exist. Always, always love conversations with John. Our talks always seem to be equal parts baseball and philosophy. Essentially, our conversations end up being like another Yogi Berra quote, in which he said baseball is 90% mental and the other half is physical. Excited to welcome him back. So let's bring on pitcher in the San Francisco Giants organization, John Timmons, and let's learn. Any Game Runway's baseball correspondent, John Timmons, is back. John, welcome back for the third time, league-leading third time. Great to be here. Always a pleasure. <laughs> well, we're getting back into baseball season, just kicking off. So I'm curious, how do you prepare during the offseason? Because baseball is known for being a grueling marathon of a sport. So you got to take time off. But at the same time, you got to be ready. With spring training, you have a month to get back in. So how much do you take off physically and mentally during the offseason? Um, it's actually, it's adjusting a lot. Um, I think the where they're kind of pushing things right now is that, um, I'll back up. It used to be in the old days, you would take like a, when I say old days, this is like my first couple of years with the organization. And we were, the front office and the coaching staff to a large degree was guys that played back in the eighties and seventies. So they played an old style of baseball and the way they would approach it is basically you took um, a month and a half, two months off right after the season ended and didn't do anything baseball related and then started getting back into the swing of things like throwing wise and right around Thanksgiving and then working into it all up to spring training. Um, But now that's kind of changed, you know, uh, as, as a lot of things are with the baseball thing where basically specialization has just gone through the roof and, if you're taking time off, there are guys that are just not. They're just taking that time where they're not competing and using that to get better. So we're just, you're just being pushed basically like every basically every free moment you have, you're trying to find somebody. Whether it's like you're not necessarily on the mound throwing a ball or facing life haters or something like that, but you're doing something related to the development of your career. So um, that's changed a lot, even just in the time that I've been playing. To where, you know, I, now it's not even – I don't think I took – it might've been three or four weeks, not even a full month off from the end of the season in 2018 until I started working again in 2019. Obviously I had surgery. So it's been a little bit different then because I haven't had, you know, a season to work around, Hmm. but yeah, it's, it's changed greatly to where 
there is no real off time and it, it work and it's for the right people. They don't even, you don't want an off time, you know, like you, 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 you're kind of dissatisfied with the, the things that you could have improved on during the season or the things where you're like the areas where you're kind of lacking and anybody that's, you know, going to be great at the game is going to have that desire to like improve those right away. They're not going to want to sit around and wait for two months and then, then attack it. So um, this whole like new kind of way of approaching the off season really just works into the same mind frame those people are in already. So it kind of just takes advantage of that. Um, a lot of it has to do too with like, um, because everything you do on the field now is, you know, recorded, you know, every single ball that's thrown or hit or fielded is worked into, into analytics and there's data on it. So a lot of it comes down to, um, basically kind of like I was saying with the areas where you're lacking, you have like numbers that, you know, show you, uh, what you're good at and what you're bad at. And a lot of guys will just, you know, go to the, the guys in charge of the video room or the guys in charge of the numbers and that sort of thing and be like, Hey, you know, give me spreadsheets, give me numbers, give me heat maps and show me what I've done well at and what I've done poorly. At. And I've actually, after the 2018 seasons, I got a nice little, it's basically shows like a batter in the box. It's got the strike zone. It's like a heat map showing, you know, where I throw the ball most often. And then another overlay where it's where I'm getting hit the hardest and that sort of thing. So you kind of, and then like, you know, what pitches I'm getting that are getting hit, which pitches aren't getting hit. So it kind of gives you a way to like, um, approach the off season work a little more smart. So you're not just kind of like blindly like, you know, Oh, I'm going to get better. But at what it's like, you have specific little things you can work on to get better at. I mean, that's fascinating. It almost makes me think back to, like you said, in older days, hitters or whatever athlete wouldn't come in and, and they wouldn't want to peak before spring training. They're kind of, you know, play themselves into shape and they wanted to be an optimal performance down the road in the season. And it was okay. If they slow. But it sounds like what you're telling me, it sounds like it's, it's easier to just stay ready than it is to get ready. Is that kind of the philosophy now? hundred percent. And it's, it's like, uh, it's that. And if you aren't doing that, you're just getting left in the dust. And I would, you know, there's no real way to do it. But, um, if you were to compare, you know, the average physique of a MLB pitcher now to an average MLB pitcher's physique in 1975, 1980, they're vastly different, you know, like they're much more athletic now. The, the science behind the movements um, to throw a ball hard is much more refined. We have much more data on that. So they know like what goes into doing those things. And the guys that can perform those movements are the guys that are more athletically inclined, more inclined physically, like strength wise, mobility wise. So um, it's not necessarily that it's like an always like staying ready thing, but it's like you're an always improving thing. It's just a lot of work go, goes into being that strong and make those movements and doing it in a repeatable fashion, you know, 25, 30 times an inning potentially, um, hopefully less, obviously you don't want to be throwing that many pitches, but, and then the mobility that goes into those things. So it's one of those things where the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. So these guys are just, all right, you know, if I had this off season with this many hours to work, I'm going to put all that into it and get more returns this next, this next season. Gone of the days are Fernando Valenzuela and the round figures on the mound. Maybe Bartolo Colon was our last one. Analytics in baseball, analytics from all sports, has been, it's been such an, a complicated issue. You even saw it in the World Series of taking out a pitcher way premature, way earlier than you would have in the past. For you, when you see this information, such as your, your, your heat zone, if, if low and away is where you're golden at and you're getting guys out, and a different selection is where you're maybe getting hit, 
do you double down on your strength or do you try to be well-rounded so that there are no weak areas? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm more of a God believes in like playing to your strength. And there's guys that will uh, kind of to the other end of the spectrum, um, instead of like trying to improve your weakness, you either have guys that basically in-game will um, play to their strength or attack hitters' weaknesses. And there's guys that definitely like mix the two, you know, like and sometimes you have to, you know, if you see a guy that's way out in front, maybe your, 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 your off-speed isn't your best pitch, but you know that he's having trouble hitting it, so you throw another off-speed pitch. But um, as far as, like, a general approach to the game, I think most guys that uh, pitch at the major league level are guys that believe in their strengths and, like, will match that up against any guy in the box instead of trying to, like, play down to them and, like, you know, maybe – if you're a guy that throw for like for me, if I if I know that my fastball on the top of the zone is that's my pitch, that's where I want to throw it, and I have a hitter in the box whose favorite pitch is a fastball high in the zone. At that point, instead of like trying to take a step down on my side and be like, okay, well I'll throw him down in the zone or throw him sliders or whatever it might be, I'd be like, okay, well here's my best try and hit it, you know. And I feel like to a large degree, there's people are going to approach it that way because it's when you start taking that out of the equation that's when you have a lot of variables start to come in you know because you just you don't have as much confidence in your stuff like the, and that's a big thing too is you know if you're throwing to your strengths you're going to be confident in it and that plays a, a large part in the you know mental aspect of pitching as we've talked about before so with so much that seems like motivation now is keeping up with everybody else if every other pitcher is beast mode no days off you kind of have to too like you said you know left behind but there will be some days where maybe you're not feeling quite as physical you need to relax so on days where you want to get some type of work in but maybe not on the mound like you said what are the things that you do are there other things you can do mentally to get those mental reps or to to not take a day off but but, that are less physical yeah i mean you can also do like a lot of guys um really kind of gotten into like mobility stuff like yoga and stuff like so that's always an option personally like I don't really like just sitting there on a mat and sweating for an hour. So that's always kind of a chore for me, even though I, you know, I have to do it. I know it's good for me, but another way you can like that I've really found um, to like improve without really doing anything except sitting in a chair is just um, watching like video of guys who, are, you know, some of the guys like um, Gratterall for the Dodgers throws a hundred miles an hour. Um, I can't remember his name. He put, he's those hundred miles an hour. He's a reliever for the Royals right now. And so I know that those guys, um, are doing something exceptionally well. And so I'll just like, I'll screen capture a video of them throwing on YouTube and I'll just like rewind, fast forward, slow it down. And just try and see like, you know, what they're, what little movements they're performing or like what things are doing different than what I do. So like, I'm trying to learn like just by watching instead of like having a lot of times when you're, you know, in the develop, develop, developmental process, you're basically a coach tells you to do something. You try and do it. You learn that way. Like, like it's hands on. But there's also a lot of learning that can be done, like seeing somebody that does it well and then trying to take that and adapt it to what you throw and try and feel those things like when you have the next chance to work on it. So I do that a lot. I do a lot of work with video. And then um, just kind of like experience, like not necessarily like throwing a ball, but trying to find, you know, grips and stuff like that. Because for me, like we were talking about with the heat map thing, that one of the things that was kind of a glaring thing I need to work on the last time I threw in games for his full season was I need a better off-speed pitch. So, you know, I've been working with that the whole two and a half, three years that I've been out of competitive baseball, just trying to f- find stuff that's comfortable. So, you know, every once in a while, instead of throwing for a day, I'll just sit home with a 
with a baseball, I'm like, oh, you know, like I, I want to throw a curveball, but this grip doesn't feel as consistent. I don't, it doesn't, I don't get the right cues when I'm releasing it and stuff like that. So I'll mess around, I'll start like throwing a knuckle curve and stuff like that. And I've through that, I've kind of found, you know, grips that actually work for me better than actually just sitting there and throwing. I'll just sit there and find something that's comfortable in my hand without throwing the ball at all. So there's definitely ways you can not do really anything baseball related and still get better. Who are the guys that are your allies? I know you've got your coaches and teammates. Who are the guys that are your allies that you do bounce the ideas off? Like, you know what? Have you tried a knuckle curve? Or have you tried this? Who are the guys you bounce ideas off? Um, I usually I will I'll reach out to coaches that I've had, and um, the most consistent base basis that'll be on is with my old rehab pitching coach. His name is Matt York. And he's with the Giants currently, and um, then we also have our pitching coordinator, whose name is Justin Lair, and. Um, for the whole year I was rehabbing Tommy John, Justin was the rehab pitching coach before Matt Yorkin was. So we just have a lot of like common ground. We've been through a lot. He's seen me work on a lot of things. So, and he knows the data points behind like my pitching profile and stuff like that. So um, when I'm thinking, you know, when I'm trying to find something that suits me more like comfort wise, he'll give me suggestions like data wise and like be like, Oh, you know, if you're throwing at the top of the zone, you're going to need stuff with more depth to come off of it. Because in the past, like while we were working um, during my Tommy John rehab, I was throwing a lot of like cutters. Um, so it's more of a lateral moving off-speed pitch, more or less. It's not really an off-speed, not a true off-speed pitch, but it was my off-speed pitch. It's much more lateral. But if you're throwing at the top of the zone, you're going to want something with a lot of more vertical depth. And so when I was, like I told you, working on, you know, different pitching grips that was like one of the the key points that he had mentioned it's like you know give something that breaks downward off of the same tunnel you know so it looks the same out of your hand as your fastball and then breaks down so it misses barrels whereas a cutter you know will break lateral and you know a hitter will occasionally get lucky and you know if they swing on the right plane they'll miss the, the ball won't barrel but it'll still get the bat you know you, that's when you see guys get dribblers down the foul line for a base hit or a double if it gets in the corner or something like that whereas if you're throwing a knuckle curve off that same, you know, fastball tunnel, it completely misses the bat. And there's just, there's no chance of that happening, which eliminates a lot of issues that I was having, you know, giving up weak hits and stuff like that on my off-speed pitch. So. It's tremendously fascinating. Analytics have obviously changed sports, but hearing that conversation just now, it is incredibly scientific, incredibly technical. And it's, it's yeah. fast. This is something that 10 years ago, we weren't using the word spin rate launch angle, all that stuff. And now it's commonplace for you and your career. How have you adapted to that? And was it, was there hesitancy at first when someone came down maybe from the office who wasn't a coach, who wasn't on the field and he came down and said, Hey, Tim and Zay, your spin rate's not the way it should be. There's a little bit of hesitancy. Yeah. Well, it was more like, um, I, I was definitely hesitant at first because you, we would start like once they started getting rid of the older, like group of guys that were doing the, the coaching, the front office and that sort of thing back in like 2017, 2018, they started bringing in new guys that were just, throwing like data at us you know analytics at us that we hadn't heard before because we weren't exposed to it as professional baseball players and at first you like like everything it's kind of a shock back you're like what what does that even mean and then you'd start seeing guys that you played with move up and then you'd be like well you know he didn't really put up better numbers than me so why is he move up and then somebody be like oh because his spin rate's higher you're like well what the hell does that mean like i don't know what a spin rate does for you so then you go and then they the good thing about it was that they would bring people in and be like, oh, you know, spin rate does this, and this is how it affects the ball flight. It doesn't drop as much. The hitters miss it with their barrels more often. And so they're like, oh, you know, that makes sense. So, like, it's one thing having people that utilize 
data and analytics to build like an organization. It's another thing to have people with experience to like relate it to the actual players and be like, Hey, this is how you use it. This is how you should use it. And I didn't have that to begin with. So you're at the, at the, like you were, like you were asking at the beginning, I was like, what the hell is this? I don't like this. I don't like that these guys are moving up because, because their spin rates higher. And then you kind of figure out and like, Hey, you know, I can make those adjustments too. You know, like it's not a big difference. And like, once you understand the tools that you have, you know, using the analytics to understand the tools that you have, you can make those jumps too. So yeah. I w- and I think it's still a lot of people are like definitely a lot of, um, I mean, can't count the number of times you saw people, you know, pissing all over the rays for pulling Blake Snell and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, that was a bad move, but 90% of the time that move is the right move. So it's just a lot of people still don't believe in playing the numbers, you know, and which is true. But when you're, when the question is, when you have something at stake, like these organizations do where it's millions of dollars, where it's, you know, world series bonuses and stuff like that, they're just going to rely on the numbers because the numbers got them that far anyway. And that's people don't really see that. They don't really see, they don't really see when the numbers are working, you know, like, because the numbers, the Rays are an organization that play those numbers and that's what got them to that point. And people don't really question it when they're winning and when their things are going as they should. And then when they do that in a leverage situation like that and do the same thing they've been doing all year and it doesn't work, the one time it doesn't work, the people that don't understand the numbers that went into it just freak out, you know? So it's like, there's just still, a, there's still just a knowledge gap and that's, that, that's all it is. It sounds like you're pretty accepting of that though. I, I know as a competitor, you want the ball and you're going to want to go against the best and you're going to want to go against in those, in those high pressure situations. You're going to want the ball. You're never going to be like, okay, coach, go ahead and pull me. But it sounds like you're a little bit more accepting of the fact that if they do pull you and it's because of a number, it's because of the third time around in the lineup or because this guy's just hit you all year or wherever it may be. It sounds like you're a little more accepting. Yeah, I think the the thing that you'll find in common with a lot of baseball players at a higher level and a higher level of me as well is that, you know, more than more than they want the ball, they're going to want to win. So if if a coach comes out and is like, hey, you know, I think this is our best chance to win, they're probably – most of the guys – you know, you have, this, you have the guys that will say like, hey, screw your numbers, I'm your best chance to win. And, you know, that might work every once in a while, but – when you have a guy that you trust that's helped you win 90 some whatever games it was with the Rays or stuff like that this past year, and he's made all the right moves the whole season long, he's like, hey, man, I think the right move is to pull you right here. You like you might not like it, but you want to win more than you want to hold on to the ball, you know? And that's just that's what it comes down to. It's like a lot of these guys, and me personally, it's like it took a lot of like uh, putting myself in check and being like, well, is this more about me personally or do I care about the the team. Yeah. You know, like if you were selfish, you'd be like, yeah, no, keep it. I'll keep the ball. Give it to me, you know, but it's not really about that. Not hundred percent. I'm on that boat too. I would much rather if the best move is take me personally out of a game to win it. Let's do it because there's nothing worse than it, it isn't. It, it's just like, you know, if you go out there as a reliever and throw a, a perfect seventh inning, but your team loses, you don't walk on the field happy. If you're if you're a decent teammate, you know, you don't walk off the field feeling good and laughing and cracking jokes. If you lost the game, you lost the game. Same thing, you know, if if they tell you it's time to get off the mound and it's for the team to win the game, then you're like, all right, let's do it, you know. As we start two thousand twenty one season, for you this is the longest time you've gone without pitching to to a batter. Jesus, yeah. Yeah, what's your mindset going into this season? You're fresh, you're relaxed. Sure, there's a whirlwind of emotions. I know you're excited to get back on, but how are you approaching this season? 
Um, honestly, it's it's. I think it's going to be a lot easier than past seasons because it's like, um, I've I look less for like confidence in my ability now than I used to, and now it's more like I know that I have confidence in all the work that I put in in three years. So um, it's like I don't really. It's not that I don't care. It's just that I I don't put as much weight on the outcome of whatever I'm doing as I used to. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to just go out there and like prove that, you know, I put in a lot of work and honestly, like it's even when I'm like throwing, you know, to catch and stuff now, it's a lot, it's easier like mentally because I don't feel the pressure to execute a certain grade, you know, like an A plus pitch every time. It's like I put in a, I put in two and a half years of work and here's what it is. And I throw the ball and there it is. And whatever it was, that's good. And maybe it wasn't bad, but the next pitch would be good. You know, did the time off allow you to feel like you enjoy it? I've talked to so many other athletes who they realized that when it was taken from them, they're like, wait a minute, I actually love this. <laughs> I didn't, maybe it was all these last years. It was, it turned into a job, but the time away made me realize, you know what? I actually love what I'm doing. Have, have you have a new response, like a new love and found love for baseball? Um, I, it was never a really, really a question of whether I love it or not. I just, there was definitely a point where I was beyond, I don't know what the, what the term is for beyond frustrated, like frustrated to the point of just like wanting it all to like, just wanting anything but what, where I was currently at, you know, it was that bad that I, you know, I felt like I could perform, but I didn't have the, the platform to do it on because the season was spent due to COVID. So there was just a, a, shitload of frustration and uh i think that in a way kind of like at first it kind of like broke me down a lot you know because i didn't know how to handle it so i would like mentally i was like i was in a bad place you know i was like you know i'm just over it i'm overworking and not playing i hate this i hate that and eventually like it's just kind of like uh going through that kind of grinds that it's like you know like the water through the can it just kind of like grinds it out like smooths down all those like rough edges and it gets rid of that like frustration if, if you get out, if you get it out in the right way. And I think I, you know, I think I was lucky enough to have the right outlets, you know, whether it be like working out and all that stuff, but and having the right people to listen, but, um, it kind of, I kind of just flushed like over months, like flushed that frustration out through all these outlets. And then at the end of that, that was where I kind of had the, like the slow kind of, uh, epiphany. It was like, Oh, you know, like this shitty time actually made me a lot better like mentally because now I know like there's things that I've, I value that are much more clear to me now and like things that make me better that I understand a lot more now things about myself and things about how I approach it mentally good or bad that I just understand better now. So um, it wasn't necessarily that I found like a newfound love for it, but I understood my love for it better like by the end of it all. Well, in my time knowing you, I've seen the progression of your introspection. It's been awesome to watch. Now you turn into this deep meditative thinker, and I, I love it. As a fan, I won't ask you to pick teams you're going to win, I, especially as a competitor, but as a fan. The Giants. <laughs> yeah, of course. Giants. <laughs> I, I can't even agree with you because my Tigers don't look like they are. They're, they're preparing for the future, to say that. Um, who are some of the, the pitchers that you're looking forward to watching this season? Oof, man, there's a lot of them. Um, you know, I, I kind of want to – I'm just interested in how 
um, Bauer's going to do in LA just because from a pure like money standpoint and stuff like that. Yeah. And a guy who embraced the analytics and I think that's helped him. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just, I think that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, yeah, I, I kind of want to like, for me, it's kind of, I like to watch guys that, um, I think I throw similarly to, and just cause it can, I feel like if you can kind of like learn from what they're doing at that stage in their career, that you can kind of like, gauge what you need to do better and maybe like have a you know preview of your career arc and maybe like how to prepare for it and stuff like that so i'm always a guy that's always kind of been a fan of joe kelly because in ways we throw pretty similarly so um i kind of want to see how he does this year i know he's getting a little older um he's not i don't think he's at his you know 101 mile an hour fastball days anymore he's still upper 90s but see it'd be interesting to see how he adapts his like even though his velocity is still way above average, how he adapts his dropping velocity to facing hitters and if he's going to keep throwing, you know, nine straight breaking balls like he's been doing and stuff like that and how he uses those in complement of each other. So for me, I'm a, I really like to watch Joe Kelly when he throws. And that's pretty much really like the only guy I kind of like follow, you know, other than just like watching the, the, the occasional games on TV. It's interesting. As a reliever, Joe Kelly is one of the few like must-see at bats, if he's on the mounds, like I got, I gotta, I gotta check him out. Like, how about batters? Because there's a lot of young cats out there right now. So who's in the batters? That's uh... yeah. I want to see how Tatis does. You know, honestly, with the the uh, the show cover, the, that little curse, the you know curse quotation marks. But um, just seeing because you always have those guys that have like a breakout year, and then they don't. Uh, you and at the high level, a lot of them do it, but some guys don't anticipate pitchers making adjustments to how they swing and how they approach, you know, a plate appearance. So a lot of guys that, you know, want to keep performing at that high level will be like, okay, if I'm a guy that's made my living off hitting fastballs early in the count, I know that pitchers are going to start me off with more off speed and make me work the count more. So I'm going to work on my discipline and stuff like that. So it'd be interesting to see if he, I'm, I'm sure he will. But um, kind of see how he adjusts to the pitchers making adjustments against him, you know, sure. especially because, like you said, he's a young, young guy. Um, yeah, I can't wait to see that. And actually, on the pitching side too, I just I, I can't wait to see as a team in general, you know, hitting and pitching in the Padres. I think it'd be interesting to watch with all those moves they made this this off season. Obviously, Tatis is with the Padres, so I'll probably and obviously they're the same division as the Giants, so it'd be be watching that, but. That'll be the most interesting thing, I think, to, to watch. Well, outside of rooting for you and, and my Tigers, I've kind of adopted Padres as my, as my name. Petco's not that far away. Anyway. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think there's a bandwagon for the Padres just because if you want to cheer for the Padres, go ahead because they've had so many rough years in baseball, you know, just getting abused and just being that team and yeah. being at the bottom of the division, stuff like that. So I, I think, you know, they deserve all the love that they're getting from, you know, fan base, other players, and that sort of thing. Wouldn't be a conversation without you without talking about books. But before we get that, we'll do a little rapid fire. First things that come to mind. Naturally, we'll, we'll preface it by saying Giants are excluded from the conversation. You don't have to use that as an okay. Stadium you're most excited to pitch in. Major League Stadium you most want to pitch in. Um, honestly, I would say it's really weird because it's not a very – it's not a great stadium, but um, I would love to pitch in Kansas City because it's only three hours from home, and I feel like a lot of people could make the trip down there. That would be, that would be really cool. Okay, I like that one. And that, it's a great park. 
the fountains unforgettable. I'm a baseball fan, obviously, but a bigger baseball hat fan. I mm -hmm. always wear a different one. Best baseball hat outside of the San Francisco Giants. Oh, man. <sighs> are we, okay, so are we talking like just like best, like everyday on field hat? For, I honestly, the brown Padres one with the gold logo is beautiful. Right Especially here. with those like those like kind of like brown uniforms they wear instead of the grays. Those are nice. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like other ones that I like a lot. I really like Pittsburgh too. The black with the gold P. Mm -hmm. um, trying to think of one more. See, I, I like everybody wears Yankees hats and Dodgers hats. So that's just like to me, that's just too uh, too mainstream. You know, it's like of course it looks good. It's like it's a classic logo. Um, I liked the, uh, when the Astros brought back the, the star with the H in it, but I don't like, they have like a lot of orange people have like a lot of orange hats with that on it. And I don't like that. I like that color of orange, except for like in highlights anymore. I liked them for a minute and it's like, no, I can't support anything Astros anymore. Yeah. It's sad because, you know, they actually had a decent looking hat, like the Navy blue one with the star and the H in the middle was a, was a great hat. And now it's like, you can't wear that out now. People are gonna be like, cheater. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a real fan or not. You're just, just going to hear it. <laughs> I think you're right. With the Padres, Pirates, I will say, my Tigers, it's a clean look as well. Mm. It's just, that's another one, too. It's just it's such a classic logo. It's not even a conversation. It's like anybody can wear that hat, and it's going to look good, you know? Mm. I put in the top ten. I put Brewers Cardinals both in there, especially the new Brewers look. It's very nice as well. The new Brewers, yeah. I will agree with you there with the glove. That is, that is a good one. I like their new uniforms, too. They've kind of done some work with them. It's a, it's a little more balanced with that blue and gold. I just – they were in a dark, dark period with that, that like blue and that weird like uh, pale gold. That's not like the actual yellow. That was not a good look. But I'm glad they switched back. Historical player you most want to face? Um, probably, probably Tony Gwynn because everybody else struggled getting him out. And I would just like to see. I'd be like, how good? How good was he actually? Because you you hear about all these pitchers just being like, oh, you know. Baseball, like I had a good time on the mound. I, who, who, I think it might have been um, Maddox that said it actually. It was like, you know, I don't struggle often with hitters. They get lucky sometimes, but that motherfucker, Tony Gwynn. <laughs> that sounds like Maddox. <laughs> yeah, because he, he, I guess he was just impossible to get out. And I mean, there are some crazy stats out there on him. I can, you know, I can't list them off the top of my head. I'm not a hitter, so I don't really like memorize much of those stats, but just as far as like his on-base percentage and stuff like that. Just, just crazy. The, the, I, I can't remember the exact stat, but there's some astronomically like crazy stat about him swinging and missing at balls. So it's just ridiculous. But yeah, My favorite thing about Tony Gwynn, he couldn't strike the guy out. And I'm looking at it now. He struck out in one season, in 135 games, he struck out 15 times. Just stupid, you know. There's, there's guys that will strike out 15 times in a homestand, you know, in a five-game series. <laughs> And he did it in a full season, didn't strike out 15 times. Yeah, it's crazy. Pitch, historical pitch that you wish you had in your arsenal. Man, I was looking, I was seeing some footage of a Bob Gibson slider the other day. That it, was, it was actually really, I think it was actually pretty rare footage because it was like home plate footage from like 1960, whatever. It was black and white. And it was, a, it was like a lot of the camera angles back then are kind of shaky and there's just like a batter in the way. There's actually like a really clear view of his slider, and that thing was nasty, dude. Like that was like that's like a modern day slider, and that's why he was so good back then. because he had like he had like a modern approach to pitching in 1965. Like he was throwing fastballs up and throwing like a wicked slider off of it. 
And I think a lot of that, like a lot of what made his slider good is that he threw it and he was like mean about it. Like he was like trying to make you look bad, you know, like he, he had conviction behind the slider. So I would probably say that. Um, I also, Justin Verlander's curveball is 12-6. That would be, man, the things I would do for that thing. There's some, there's some pitches that it doesn't matter how much you work on it. You're just not going to throw that. And his like straight down breaking 12-6 curveball, that's basically like a, once in a generation curveball you're going to see from a right-hand pitcher. From left-hand side, you probably see like Kershaw. Like they're probably the equivalent of each other pitching-wise, like curveball-wise and like how good it is. But yeah, Justin Verlander's curveball. You and I talked about Lasorda a lot. So manager that you would love to play for or wish you had played for? Man, I don't know that I would have like – I don't know. I, I'm sure back then his players loved playing for him. I don't – obviously I don't know Lasorda as a guy. I don't think Lasorda liked analytics. I'll just say that. No, that's what I'm saying. I don't know that he would ha- like have a very good relationship with players nowadays because, you know, it's just changed now to where it isn't like a – the manager isn't like a – a figure that's never wrong and stuff like that. Like he's not the only one making decisions. Like there's a lot of factors that goes into it. So he wouldn't, I don't think he would have as much like power as he did back then. And I don't think that he would be able to command the dugout the way he did. And I don't know that I necessarily play well under guys that are like unquestionable as managers, you know, but um, I think a guy that I would really like to play for just from like the, repertoire that they that he's had and the things players have to say about him is joe madden you know just because pretty much everywhere he goes he wins and everywhere he goes the players love him and that is kind of his thing too is that he a lot of what he does is based around putting you know the players first as like players and you know people individuals so i would yeah i would say joe madden you're the second person to bring up madden but you're the first baseball player it was a soccer coach who said mm. Joe Madden. I said, of all the coaches, aside from Bill Belichick, Joe Madden, the one coach I'd love to love to share a beverage with. Yeah, I think so too. I think he's probably an interesting guy. Joe Madden, number one, I'd like to share a beverage with. And absolutely last, Tony La Russa, because uh, I might wake <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> You still holding on to that? Oh, man. I probably couldn't keep that one I don't know. You might go viral because of it, man. You had a fastball hitter, two outs, bases loaded, the whole scenario that we all dream of. Fastball hitter, your fastball is your best pitch. What are you throwing? Oh, yeah. Like I said earlier, I'm throwing the fastball. And it's every time. Even if he's a fastball hitter. Yeah. The fastball is the pitch that every time I throw it, I believe that it's going to be by the guy, you know, and it's a lot of times it isn't, but I throw a curveball or whatever other pitch I, I might be told to throw in that situation. And I don't have that confidence in it. I don't have that belief that every time it's like coming off my fingers, it's going to be right by him under the glove. This real good. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no. how did that confidence, was that natural? Have you always just been like, my fastball's always been, it's been, you know, since you were young, you know, I had a great fastball. And so it's been there. Or did you develop that confidence over time? I think it's, I've always like, um, I've always thrown pretty hard. So that's like something that you just kind of, the success you have at a young age kind of builds that confidence and eventually it just becomes like a part of your identity. And I think that's where it's at now, you know, and the hard part isn't necessarily, the hard part is like um, believing, like we've talked about before, believing that it's going to be right by the guy and then dealing with it when it's not, you know, like when it does get hit weekly or, or otherwise, you know, when it's foul off or whatever. But then it's still like every time I get that, the ball back, whether you just hit it for a home run or not, like I'm, the next guy that's in the box, I think I'm going to throw it right by him. Like that's, it's just there. It's there every time. 
I, I just thinking back to what you were saying about playing for a coach who's, I think it's such a great thing how, how it's changed. 50 years ago, you never questioned teachers, you never questioned coaches, you never questioned anybody. You just listen to authority. And I love now, right. like, if, if a pitcher says or a coach says, hey, throw this, you're like, why? I love that we can finally are in a society where we can say why. Let's do, there's a better way to do it. I just love that. You and I have had great discussions about stuff off the field, especially the things that you're reading and you're expecting as you continue to develop your self-awareness. So what have you been reading lately? And do you have any books that you're excited to read going into the season? Um, I haven't. I was. I just finished that. I finished the, another autobiography, but I did read cover to cover my trusty Toyota Forerunner repair manual um, because, like you might have known, I purchased an older 25 year old Forerunner, and I just wanted to know how to do it all myself. And so I, I mean, it's cool, and I just I had a genuine interest in it. You know, like being able to be like self sufficient, like repairing to a large degree, anything that goes wrong with it. And so, you know, I just wanted to be like on board with the terminology and like knowing the parts and like, you know, what to be aware of, like at this age, like what's going to go first. And so I, I basically like read it cover to cover and there's, it's great. There's like pictures in there and stuff. So there's not that, there's not a whole lot of reading. No, I'm just kidding. But um, there's, there's stuff that just like explains it in great detail. And so it's like one of those things where you don't, I didn't look at it as a chore. Like I, I just literally enjoyed reading your repair manual and I read it cover to cover and went ahead and did a bunch of repairs in my car and saved, you know, multiple thousands of dollars, which is really cool. That's, I would say that this is the most uh, profitable, directly profitable book I've read in about five years so, because yeah. I, I saved, you know, $1,600 on a shock job. I saved $400 on a brake job and just a little other things that have added up. So it's like, you know, it's like, well, it's just cool to get like that return on it so soon. And Plus I just have a genuine interest in it. So, well, Two questions. One, will it be traveling with you to the season? And then secondly, do you feel that aside from saving money, aside from saving money, do you feel working on the car is a form of meditation? A lot of people, when they meditate, it's just to clear their minds. So do you feel that it's in some ways been a form of meditation? Yeah, absolutely. Like I feel like there's people that, you know, to, to kind of meditate and get out of their own heads for a little bit, they'll, you know, clean or run or go for a walk, whatever. And I get that same thing, pretty much anything that has to do with like doing physical work with my hands, I kind of get the same thing to where it's like the only thing I'm really worried about and like focused on is the job at hand. So it kind of gives you that freedom to like step back from everything for a while and forget about everything. And then it just kind of gives like, I don't know, it kind of like for me working with my hands kind of like bases me again, like puts me back in touch with who I think I am. You know, it's, I feel like I'm somebody that, um, I could never just do, I couldn't, I would never be a good like software engineer or like programmer or something like that. Things that I can't like put my hands on and work on. So I feel like that's just kind of like who I am and like doing stuff like this kind of puts me back in touch with that. So I did something that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point now where I've done most of the major repairs on it. And now I'm just kind of going through looking for things to do because I want to keep doing it. And thankfully it's kind of given me a couple problems lately that I can, uh, I blew, blew blew the cap off my coolant reservoir, which will be a nice little project. It shouldn't be. I mean, it's easy. It's about a $30 fix, but that just gives me something to do. Like, you know, it's, it's not a great thing. It's not great that the, my coolant reservoir cap blew off in the middle of the, in the middle of the highway with spewing steam. But it's like, Hey, you know, there's another thing I get to take home and work on. So. Hey, you are redefining what it means to be an optimist An optimist, someone who, when their car breaks down is excited to learn how to fix it. See, and I think the thing is, is like, there's not a lot. I would say if you ask a lot of people 
that like Russ who's lived with me and people that have lived with me, they would say that I'm not the most optimistic, optimistic person, like positively optimistic. Like I always try and see like what can go wrong, but the car is like, it's the other way around where it's like, if something goes wrong, I believe I could fix it. So it's almost like a, just another way to like, like we were saying, get my hands on it. That's like one of the things I'm actually optimistic about. So it's maybe that's kind of why I like doing it so much. It's like, it's a different way for me to kind of approach things. And maybe it's like we talked before, control the controllables. This is something. Yeah. Oh, when you're fixing it. There you go. How can people follow you along the journey of the car restorations, plural, because I don't think it'll be the last car that you restore and fix and work on. How can people follow you on that and for the upcoming 2021 baseball season where you finally get to pitch to. Finally, man. Jesus. <laughs> follow on Instagram at John Timmons 30. No space, no caps. Same thing on Twitter. No cap. Um, no cap. I was, yeah, no, no cap at all. Never cap. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was I was considering making an Instagram account for my car, but you know, it's, I've there's just millions of them out there, and I feel like it's just going to blend in. I what I was what I thought about doing is like doing something where because there's definitely YouTube channels where you can go and watch like repairs, but like doing something where I have a Instagram account for my Forerunner because it's kind of like a cult following for those, and like having like minor repairs that you can do by yourself, just like like a walkthrough and doing something like that. Plus, it gives me excuse, and I I didn't realize how much. I, I love shopping at like Ace Hardware. I mean, if, if anybody that knows me is like wanting to give me like a, a shopping spree somewhere, you know, just like a win a shopping spree, please let it be Ace Hardware or AutoZone because man, I go in that place. It's like a kid in a toy store. I just can't stop buying stuff, which is nice, you know, cause it comes in handy, but you know, I actually have the, uh, you can see that the uh, Ace Rewards member now. So I'm getting some return on my investments there. But yeah, it's like just it kind of is. Uh, it's exciting to me that um, like watching that stuff. It's it, it's the same as like baseball and football was back in the day. Like watching it and then wanting to go play it outside after the game was over. It's like if I see some guy on YouTube, like this, I'm like, man, if he can do that, I can do that. So I'm just gonna go buy the tools and just be ready whenever for whenever it happens. So do you enjoy the universal aspect of mansplaining? Is flip your hood in a parking lot, especially outside AutoZone or something, or in your apartment complex. If you put your hood up, you're gonna get mansplained by someone else. I know for when you were doing that, people came up and said, oh, what are you working on? Yeah, it definitely, definitely came. I think I had like three or four people walk by and be like, hey, what's, what's going on? Here? I didn't know people still worked on their cars and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, just like trying to save some money, that sort of thing. And it's like, you know, it seemed like it was nice because they seemed like they had genuine interest in it. And I know a couple, like a couple of them are like my neighbors and they have Toyotas themselves. And they're like, oh, man, I've, I've always wanted to like, take the time to do that stuff, but I never really worked up the, the will to do it and stuff like that. So it didn't seem like, you know, you definitely had those guys that like, if you were doing an awesome parking lot, they would come over and be like, Hey, what you're working on just so that they could like preface, use that as a preface to go into what they've been working on. It's like, Oh yeah, I just tore apart my Dodge Ram and put it in a turbo. And you're like, I didn't ask you any of this, man. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to put more wiper fluid in here. <laughs> I got to ask this then. Are you sticking with, Going back to Cali, going into the season. I know you and I talk about music all the time, so are you sticking with going back to Cali? I know that you've said in the past that it helps you reset and refocus. So will you be staying with going back to Cali for 2021? Right now, it's pr I'm pretty set on that. Um, the only thing that I've been considering doing in place of that is the is more bounce to the outs. So just because it's like, not because it's like better or worse, but just like I'm always like the, you know, if I find the, the original, you know, if I, if I believe, you know, going back to Cali was – you know, produced by Biggie's producers for the longest time. But then I found the original. I'm going to want to put the original on there. Just, just, that's just who I am. Plus, you know, 
it's just a, it's a different vibe like more bounce to the ounce it's more just like it's more upbeat obviously biggie's on it he's like talking about like it's just a different vibe so i'm just kind of weighing those options here and i feel like that same arrogance that the guy in the parking lot who came up to tell you about his dodge ram that's going to be you when people are like oh biggie like no 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 well you hold on here that's before way before you know yeah Oh yeah, his old stuff's way better. You know, like one of those things. <laughs> Let's make a rule that the next time we do this, it is Mediterranean food. Well, I'm gonna. Well, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna one up you. I'm gonna up you and say it's in person, but wherever you're at. Hey, not in, in person. I love Mediterranean food, but in person, not in Arizona. So wherever you're pitching, I'm gonna find a point. I'm gonna be at one of your games this year, and we'll we'll make a point to do it there. Hell yeah. All right. I'm holding you to that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Much appreciation to John. Thrilled to see him pitching again this season. And we'll have him back on the show soon. Make sure to give him a follow on Instagram to keep up to date with his baseball career and his blossoming side career as a Toyota Forerunner mechanic. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway Show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.